Hey, Owen. Hey, Becca. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. I'm I'm doing all right. I mean, I feel like since when did we talk last? Like Thursday. And even since Thursday, everything has changed for us. We're now uh, all of California. I'm here in Los Angeles. All of California is under a stay-at-home order. We're still allowed to go out to do various things, but we're supposed to stay home. All non-necessary businesses have closed. It's been quite a few days. New York City now leads the nation, or New York State rather, leads the nation in, in confirmed COVID-19 cases. But of course, we have a huge deficit in ability to do testing. Um, so things are getting, you know, uh, pretty difficult here from a from a medical logistics standpoint. And I think we're all uh, in New York finishing up our first attempt at a socially distanced weekend. And there's plenty more to come because we're on the precipice of our own stay inside order starting tomorrow morning. Oh, you guys aren't under a stay inside order yet. It's called it a starts, pause. Yes, uh, but it's starting tomorrow. Uh, so this was a pretty interesting weekend for folks. Well, I will say, um, well, let me just uh, kind of do the, the business of the show here. Uh, so this has been Adair in uh, Los Angeles in California. And uh, I have Dr. Owen Muir and Rebecca Sinclair from Brooklyn Mines in New York. Uh, Owen Muir is a psychiatrist. Uh, Rebecca Sinclair is a psychologist. Um, and uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear how you guys are doing. We want to hear what you've learned, how you're coping. We have a number that you can call and leave us a message. It's 858-255-1770. Tap the show notes and find that number right there. And just a real fast disclaimer that we do at the top of the show. Uh, listening to a podcast is not a substitute for getting real help. This show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical and or mental health advice, diagnosis, and treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health needs. <sighs> okay, so we had our first stay-at-home order this weekend, but you kind of you kind of could tell most places but some places you really couldn't tell a friend of mine was out shopping uh in larchmont which is a pretty posh like shopping district and the cafes were still bumping there were people on the street nobody really socially distancing it was a little discouraging what did what did, what did you guys see when you were out and about were you out and about or did you just stay in I was not out and about so much. So the only thing I really saw were grocery stores and things like that. So as you were saying that, I was wondering, like, I wonder if people are still out and about because in my neighborhood, it's been pretty quiet. The sidewalks are pretty empty. Um, mm. So I am seeing that, but I haven't been so out and about. I have seen an occasional story on Instagram where it seems like people are gathering in parks and things like that. Um, which is surprising in some ways that people aren't taking it seriously yet with all the numbers that are coming out, especially in New York, uh, where I'm seeing these Instagram stories pop up. But I think the part that's not surprising about it is that it's really easy for people to, I don't want to say the word denial, but it feels like that. I think the better thing is that it's still very hard for people to feel connected to what's going on. It's so abstract in some ways that I think some people still don't know how to take it seriously. I mean, I, I think it's uh, it, it's as if global warming was an issue overnight 
and you're asking people to understand these very complicated scientific ideas and adjust their behavior dramatically accordingly. And uh, I mean, I called my own mother to find who was like a medical editor for a living back in the day and to see if she understood it and she, and she didn't. So hmm. I, I think before you can, you know, comply with an order uh, really faithfully, you have to kind of have some understanding of why it's worth doing so. And I'm not sure that's the case. Hmm. Hmm. What are you guys hearing from uh, your friends, from your patients, from people you're talking with? One of the biggest things that I've seen people around here struggle with is the morality of what to do or not to do. Um, I have a, a colleague who is uh, was really wondering whether uh, she was trying to, she's a physician, so she was trying to stay uh, as COVID-19 free as possible for as long as possible. And her partner was going out and seeing people in very limited ways socially. And she said, you know, should I stay, should I have my partner not stay at home? Should he have to stay in a different room? Um, and really struggling um, with what to do. And I think there's a really big moral weight people can feel. And there's kind of moral outrage you could feel at people who don't do it just the right way. And I think that is probably going to get us into trouble because the last thing we need during all of this is to be blaming each other for something that is, you know, uh, an atom bomb when it comes to infectious agents, almost literally in terms of its spread. I did have one um, kind of nasty confrontation with somebody over the weekend. Um, my wife thought it would be nice to support a local restaurant and to order dinner uh, to, for pickup on Saturday night. So I went out to the restaurant. We, we did the ordering. I went out to the restaurant to pick it up. I go into the restaurant, and there's two other people in the store. Are in kind of the, the dining area is totally empty, but there are two people kind of waiting there to pick stuff up. And I walk in, and I just walk up to the cash register to tell the woman, you know, who I am, and that I'm here to pick the food. And one of the women standing about 10 or 12 feet away says, oh, excuse me, I'm in line. I'm just doing the social distance thing. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, sorry, I didn't, I didn't realize. I'm sorry. It's the most um, spaced out line. <laughs> yeah, it was. It really looked like she had, you know, she had been like, she said her thing, and then was just kind of waiting. But no, she was actually just first in line. I didn't realize it. It's a new world. I think we're gonna have to figure out new social cues and new social rules. And until we do, there's probably gonna be those confrontations. And you know, when I hear that, um, I think. Oh, not a great way to handle it, lady. But also, I get it. I at the grocery store yesterday. I went to the self checkout line, and there was a longer line uh, for the regular checkout. And I wanted to, you know, ask somebody if I was skipping the line if I got into the self checkout. But I didn't want to get close enough to anyone to ask, and I just kind of went for it. And no one confronted me, but I had that moment of. I don't have to have I don't have this social skill. Nobody has this social skill because we've never been in this situation before. Right. I, I reacted sort of defensively like you like you do when somebody just starts yelling at you for some reason that you don't know. But then I was like, okay, okay. It okay. makes sense to be defensive. <laughs> yeah, sure. But then you know, I had to check myself and just be like, okay, we don't really know what's going on here. She doesn't she's stressed out, I'm stressed out. Let's just I'll just I'm just gonna let it slide. I think people are also struggling with the economic uncertainty, and that's probably gonna be a bigger uh, not at least in terms of you know how do we undo that one than the medical challenge per se because that's 
pretty clear. Keep people well as best you can for as long as you can and get sick as slowly as possible for as long as you can. But how do you support everybody? That's hard. I think also, you know, with the moral outrage that I think we're apt to see in these micro interactions we're having with people, this is a pandemic where we can't blame the virus. The virus isn't doing something malicious. It's a virus. It's not a person we can be mad at. It's not a villain in a movie in that way. And so it there is a natural tendency to try and find someone to blame, which is where we can fall into us versus them moments because it's easier to be mad at a neighbor who didn't cough or cover their mouth when they coughed uh, than it's to be mad at the at COVID-19, which doesn't have a face or personality and we can't actually yell at. It would be easier if it were a zombie apocalypse. Yes. I mean, just in, in order ways. of knowing what to do, I don't know that a zombie apocalypse would literally be easier, but um, at least you know you run away from The Walking Dead. Um, we have gotten a couple calls uh, over, you know, since we talked last, so let me, um, let me play those messages for you, okay? Hold on. Hi, yes, my name is Francesca, and I actually um, wanted to talk about how I think, I'm not too sure, but I feel like I had a panic attack recently. So I, I guess the day before, I went out to literally to the grocery store, and I don't know, it just, I had a panic attack when I woke up in the morning, and I thought I had the virus, I guess. It's a whole thing. Um, but it was really weird because the way it just came up, my heart was just beating really, really fast. And it felt more physical than mental because I was in a calm state. I wasn't running. I wasn't doing anything crazy. I wasn't thinking about anything. And it kind of just came over me. Um, but that and it's just home dynamic currently is very stressful. Um, because everyone's home. So it's, we're not used to that. And it's just, it's been a roller coaster. Um, thank you so much. So she's uh, panicking about about getting the virus. She's worried about her home situation. Um, what do you guys What do you guys think? Do you have uh, advice that you could give? This is the moment for mind body connection to really step up. Uh, in my mind, um, our our minds and bodies are connected, and often how we're feeling is a story we're telling ourselves. And part of how we get to that story is we're monitoring uh, all the time the input from our body to our brain. So if your heart rate goes up, you have to interpret that and tell yourself a story about why your heart rate's going up. Now, in this case, the person woke up and had a rapid heart rate and then put it together with the fact that she was scared about COVID-19 and assumed that meant she had the illness, whereas she might not have been dehydrated. Um, or, you know, had a, you know, panic from anxiety, whatever it happens to be, uh, too much coffee the night before. I don't know. Um, there are a lot of reasons your heart rate can change, but the story we tell ourselves about why it's changing can make us more or less afraid and more or less convinced of other things. And I think it's, we're going to see a lot of that. I think it's really important for folks in general, if they're noticing those kinds of physiological responses from anxiety, particularly heart racing. Heart racing uh, is kind of a classic panic attack kind of symptom, and it can come on and it can come on for a lot of reasons, as Owen just said. Um, But it can be a really scary one. And the mind can tell you stories of, oh, this means I'm 
going to have a heart attack. This means I have COVID-19 or this means I'm going to have a panic attack. And how terrible could that be? And so it's really important in general that if you're noticing those physiological signs to name them, to call out um, in general what they might be to say, oh, there's my heart beating fast. Oh, there's my anxiety going up, my anxiety and reminding ourselves my anxiety can go up and it goes down. That's how emotions go. Um, and to name it for what it is rather than it be this mysterious force is that when anxiety goes up, our body reacts to it. And by naming it, it really helps you take power over it. Hmm, That's really interesting. Can you give me another example of how that might work? I think it's just so fascinating to hear just like how it how, like like actually how we should do it. Yeah, I think I think naming a process is kind of goes across a lot of different kinds of therapies and a lot of different kinds of uh, mental health issues and anxieties. It comes up in a lot of OCD therapies. We want people to name their OCD, um, give it a name to cut it down to size. With panic, we want people to name this is my this is my anxiety. This is my heart beating. Naming what the physiological things um, in mentalization based treatment. Uh, we have something similar where we're naming the pattern that's going on rather than leaving it as an elephant in the room unnamed. Um, in acceptance and commitment therapy, it's the same thing of if you notice your mind telling you, oh, your heart's racing, that must mean you have COVID-19. That means something terrible is going to happen to remind yourself, oh, that's my mind telling me I'm having the thought that I'm worried about having COVID-19. By naming it, it helps you get a little bit more distance from the thought or the emotion. And when you have a little bit more distance, you can respond to it rather than be reactive to it. The general idea is that our emotions, when they don't have names, are kind of like a really hot pan on the stove. And the the words are, are an oven mitt that let us pick it up and get it off the heat without getting burned. Um, and so you really want words to let you hang on to difficult feelings because it's really hard to do so without them. Hmm. Hmm. Can you give me an, another example of how that might work? Like if somebody's getting sure. Studying, if somebody like, if somebody is is saying I'm so angry with you, right? They they may be saying it and saying it loud, but they're not punching you in the face at the time, uh, which people can also feel anger and do. And I'd much rather have someone tell me they felt angry than physically express that anger. This is a little bit more of a benign example, but I think it also works is that I've been talking to people a lot about trying to break the habit of touching your face um, and recently wrote an article about just some quick tips and tricks about not touching your face. And oh, God. oh gosh, even, let's hear them. Let's hear them. <laughs> <laughs> well, even one of those is that listening and noticing your mind telling you, you know, if you have a scratch on your face and I bet both of you have a scratch on your face. Now that I'm talking about it, I mean, yeah, and now realize, that you, that you mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, now that I, I'm, yeah, I can control your mind in that way. <laughs> um, but, and now I notice that I have a hair on my cheek, and my mind is telling me, like, oh, just touch your face to move it off. Just touch your face. Once you do it, you'll feel better. And it's really easy to just buy in instantly to those thoughts and assume that because we have a thought, it's a fact, as opposed to saying, like, oh, my mind's telling me I have to touch my face. It's interesting, mind. Okay. Thanks for your input, mind. Thank you for letting me know that you think I absolutely have to touch my face right now and I won't feel better until I touch my face. But just noticing that our mind is giving us advertisements all day about what we're doing and that sometimes they're helpful advertisements, but sometimes they're like pop-up ads on the internet and we don't have to listen to them. Hmm. 
That's really interesting. I did read, I mean, like most people, I think I've just been reading everything that I can about different things. And somebody sent me a PowerPoint that a professor at Stanford had done. That's, you know, one of the takeaways I took from it was that uh, it's okay to scratch your face right after you wash your hands. He says, it's, you know, you have a few minutes until you touch something else. It's okay for you to scratch your face then. And I thought, okay. I just need to <laughs> I just need to confine all my face scratching to three minutes after I wash my hands. <laughs> yeah, we're we're all gonna end up touching our face sometimes. We can't expect to be perfect, but we do need to notice how often our mind convinces us that we have to do things. Right. Um, and sometimes, sometimes we might have to whatever that might mean. Uh, but sometimes it's our mind just talking to us, but just by labeling it as an urge and labeling it as your mind talking to you, you get a little bit more agency over your decision to touch your face. There's another part in that in that message that she left us about everybody being home together. And I think that's going to be one of the big stressors that uh, is going to start coming up. I mean, I've already had some parents offer to FedEx me their kids if if I can if I can take them. Parents, you know, together with their kids, parents together 24/7 with their spouses, like like this is going to be hard. Yeah. I think I've been thinking about this a lot from uh, myself, who's living good, you know, living at home with my husband and my kid to clients I'm talking to who are living alone to people staying with significant others that they didn't really plan on moving in with. But they're going to now because that's the best option rather than roommates they don't get along with. Like everyone's in such different situations. And I think what's really hard about it is that we are not used to being in one modality all the time. We're used to having some sort of balance of I'm here with my family. I'm out with others. I'm with people. I'm alone. Um, and we're used to having that back and forth. And we're not used to having it be one thing all the time, which is why there's not going to be a good blanket solution for this. It's about finding what your balance is and finding ways to carve it out and changing and reframing your expectation of what uh, things might look like, including, you know, hiding in your bedroom to have a work phone call on Sunday night might be your new alone time. And that can mm. be okay too. It feels like kind of the worst episode of 99% Invisible I can imagine, where instead of talking about, you know, third spaces where it's not work and it's not home, but it's, we don't, now we have like first spaces and that's it. Don't ask for anything more. Right. So, uh, you know, when I get done with, with work, then I move half a centimeter to where I'm going to, you know, connect with my friend after work on the same computer. I was just Zooming with people all day on. I think there's some practical things people can do to create that separation. Um, changing your clothes at the end of the workday. Hmm. It sounds silly, but it's one thing you can do to kind of delineate the time to say, this is my, even if it's just your work shirt so that you look presentable on the video calls, you can stay in your sweatpants. That's fine. But changing your work shirt um, or taking, you know, putting your makeup on, taking it off, whatever you have to do to kind of, delineate the time in some way um and that's not going to be a blanket solution for everyone everyone has to find their own thing um but finding some sort of boundary for that i was uh, totally wearing I, my work scrubs <laughs> when you're a doctor and you're on call you get to wear scrubs and that's kind of more relaxed so i was wearing scrubs as if i was on call and then changed into probably more formal clothing later and i want to give one piece of advice of what not to do 
with this, which I think a lot of people are probably struggling with, is don't try to force yourself to see the silver lining if it doesn't feel natural. There are going to be silver linings. If you are somebody who can see a silver lining, that's great. And you should embrace it and notice it. Like I'm having my silver linings that I'm excited about. I don't have to commute. That's great. I'm home for my son's bedtime. That's great. But you never want to force silver linings on somebody who's not feeling them because it ends up just incredibly invalidating. And the mind is just going to get deeper stuck into the negative mindset about it. And so we really want people to find their silver linings in their own way. It's not something that can be forced on someone uh, by saying, just look at the bright side of things. We may want to nationally ban the word just during this period of time. What do you mean? Well, when you say just, it's saying there are no other answers. It's only this one. Stop it and look at it my way. But Mm. is kind of similar. Like everything I said, except not stop it. So when you say it's, you just have to calm down. Look, you just have to get your homework done. You just have to read the manual, right? So there are probably a lot of other reasons that those things could have gone a different way. But by using the word just, we kind of say all of them are invalid, even the ones you haven't mentioned yet. It kind of makes the other person feel stupid when you say just stop it. You're like, if I thought I could just stop it, I would have done it. Hmm. Or worse yet, you feel like you should have just stopped it and yet were unable for some reason you can't under- explain except for your own stupidity, which is another simplifying word I'm not a fan of. <laughs> Last yeah. piece of advice for that caller, too, is that if she's feeling herself having recurring panic attacks um, or is finding that she's not able to make it back to the grocery store because she's afraid of it happening again to find a mental health professional to talk to about uh, her symptoms and what might be going on. Yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, Let's hear one more call. Hi. um, So I work in a mental health capacity where I'm supporting a lot of other people um, and also supporting a lot of other people that are supporting other people. Um, And I think what's particularly tough right now is that I'm feeling a lot of my own anxiety and stress and feeling very overwhelmed by um, the pandemic. I'm, uh, I left the city and staying with my parents and it feels like um, the work that I'm doing and the place that I'm staying don't, there aren't clear limits between those two. Um, So I think it's harder for me to boundary um, my own work. So, you know, often I would leave the office and kind of that was me closing the door to the office was me closing the door to um, the really stressful stuff at work um, and the stressful stuff that mental health professionals run into. Um, So then going from that to, you know, the, the real world with, uh, all the news that I'm being fed constantly, all the news alerts, um, then also responding to my team um, and supporting people, and then also just um, I'm having a hard time kind of navigating those two worlds. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm going through. Thank you. Seems like there's a little bit of irony that at work she's navigating the world of people responding to those anxieties caused by all those alerts. And then she goes into that world of anxiety-producing alerts and news after she's at work, which sounds like kind of going from the kettle to to the stove. Yeah, I think what's hard about right now is that 
there aren't a lot of breaks, right? You know, we go from whatever is going on in our jobs, and we can obviously relate to this caller who works in mental health because we have the same kind of crews, uh, myself and Owen, in terms of holding a lot of people's emotions. But I think that this is probably something that a lot of people relate to in different fields right now, because I imagine every company is so stressful right now. Any type of position feels uncertain and that there's so much weight to it right now. And normally when we're in a really stressful work period, we're able to come home and have relief from that in some way. And it sounds like there's there's not an experience of that. And so along with figuring out how to boundary off work life from home life, it's how do you give yourself a break from anxiety? How do you find something that is not anxiety producing? Does that sound about right, Owen? I was trying to think about it, how to think about this caller's question. I, I think I think it does. When you're when you're in a position where, where you have to hold onto a lot of other people's feelings, that puts a tremendous strain uh, on on you. And then taking some time to deal with your own feelings afterwards becomes even more important. And it sounds like that time has been so thoroughly gobbled by the news anxiety monster that there isn't the time to metabolize what she dealt with at work and all the difficult feelings she was holding for other people. And I find that the, the, you know, the way people take whatever they're feeling and turn it into something, you know, like I said before, words are a way to hold on to your feelings so they don't burn you. And art is another way. Um, I write songs, uh, podcasts are creative. You know, we're, we're doing this as a way of taking our feelings and making them something we can hold on to. We can play this podcast, this podcast back and hear ourselves dealing productively with anxiety and go, Oh, I handle that really well, which we may not have done had we not gone through that creative effort. But while we're doing this, we're really focused on doing this in the here and now. And I have no idea what's going on in the news. And in fact, I've turned off almost all alerts on everything. So it would ruin the recording. It would. Um, But the the no breaks part during during the workday is also crucial because we're used to having the water cooler and and things like that. And there are some workplaces that have answered this by having Zoom meetings or whatever it is where you don't talk about anything specific. So it's the 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 social break Mm -hmm. virtually, which serves a really important reset purpose for Mm -hmm. you and your team. I think there's also probably this piece that she's going through that I'm imagining so many people are going through, which is that, you know, this is kind of a steep increase from the blurred boundary of what is work and what is home that has been blurred since the invention of the Blackberry, right? That one thing that's that's great in terms of working from home is flexibility that you get to have control in some ways of working and not working and then the con of it is that you also don't have some control of your time is that you can't close the door because 
you could always be working. And I think that a lot of people are struggling with finding a new balance that with that, with their um, employers or company or employees and figuring out how to have the boundaries of being able to say, I know technically I could jump back on my computer or jump back on my phone because I've been doing that all day, but right now is dinner time or right now I want to walk binge Netflix for an hour because it's the evening and that's what I would be doing normally and figuring out how to be okay with that, um, including potentially maybe some guilt feelings that come with that, that you might feel guilty that you could jump back on because you've been doing it all day and being able to say, I feel a little bit guilty about this. It's okay for me to feel a little bit guilty, but I'm still going to do some self-care of, you know, binge watching Love is Blind or whatever else you're into these days. I think the the idea of making a little space for yourself is really important. And I think like I, one of the things that I, I hear her talking about is something that is happening for me, too, which is like you're at work and you're doing everything at work. And then the second you leave work, you know, I'm helping my kids and I'm, you know, help, you know, dealing with my kids and then the second they go to bed, it's that's the time for me and my wife to decompress and, you know, talk about all the crazy feelings that we're having. And then it's time for bed. And then you wake up in the morning and it's time to get the kids up <laughs> and have breakfast and take care of the kids. And then it's time to go to work. And it just kind of feels like a like like it just never stops. Iron Man. I, it never I know, stops. I know exactly what you mean. And even last night, we were we were on that loop of working, 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 taking care of kid, and then you know, kid goes to bed and it's time to relax. And my husband and we were looking at uh, some of the new rentals that are available for streaming because they're not going to be released in theaters, and they all looked so dark. And I said, right. no. No dark movies. I would like to watch reruns of sitcoms only, only light humor. That's all we can handle. Because normally we like those kind of dark horror thriller, thought provoking kind of stuff. And I had to Not say, right now. no, Not right now, <laughs> no. Can we watch some season two Parks and Rec, please? That's what I need right now. I I think another w way to kind of cope with this particular kind of uh, str strain is so much of the work that this person in mental health does is based on language and spending all of your time in a world of words can be just as difficult as not having enough words for what you're dealing with. So maybe time to your, learn the ukulele and some instrumentals or something like that. So you can spend some time painting or drawing or doing something that is not about words. That's really interesting because the thing that I do to have a break is I do crossword puzzles. I do the spelling bee on the New York Times website. Like, but it's not talking, right? <laughs> it's not, no, no, it's not talking. But it is definitely playing my words. As my grandma used to say, it's time for me to play my words. <laughs> but this is where it's also there. This is why we can't just give, you know, one panacea solution for everybody is that everyone right. has to find the thing that brings them joy, whatever that might be, and the thing that they can control. I'm with you on crossword puzzles. I love them. I love a puzzle because I love when something's done in that way, especially in a time like this. But that's for me. Not everyone's going to like that kind of project. Um, and so it's figuring out for you, what's the thing that you can enjoy that you are able to do? We don't want people to fall into the trap of constantly thinking, well, 
if the social isolation wasn't going on, if the quarantine wasn't going on, then I would be doing this. You can't. That has to be kind of put to the side and figuring out, like, what can you do that you can find joy in now? I'm kind of doing the opposite, which is, well, thanks to the quarantine, what am I able to do that I wouldn't normally do? Yeah, I mean, that's like a good way of putting it, right? Like what are like looking around and say, saying, okay, we're here. What are some things that we can do here that we haven't that we aren't able to do otherwise? Newton invented calculus while living at home with his mom. Oh, my God. If I hear one more of those things, I'm going to kill somebody. (laughs) I don't know. I think I'm going to teach my dog some new weird tricks. Like, that seems like a good project for this time. You already know some good ones, but I think I'm going to go real weird with it for a while. I think hanging out with animals is a really good thing to do. It's a really good thing to do. If it's your thing. If you're not an animal person, don't try to force yourself to be one. But again, communication with no words. Right. Um, Do you guys want to talk about anything else before we go? Or should I just kind of like take us out? I think um, the one thing that's really been kind of uh, getting getting me uh, for folks is the the role of like, um, how do I put it? They're not sure what to be angry at. And that's going to go along for a while. Um, and I think not being sure of what you should feel um, is a really difficult state to be in. Because once we figure out what we feel, we can feel it and get it over with more or less for most people. Um, but if we're kind of paralyzed by, by not being able to, again, represent what we're feeling with some collection of words or images or something that isn't just feeling it in our chest, it makes it harder. Hmm. And I would argue yeah. it doesn't really matter that you get it right because feelings are all stories we tell ourselves anyway. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think even just being able to say, I don't know what I'm feeling is much more powerful than pretending you're not feeling anything. Cool. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens in the next <laughs> 24 hours or so. It's all we... going to change by then anyway. <laughs> I mean, it really... <laughs> The word on the street is that they're going to close schools to the end of the school year tomorrow. That's the word in the street here in, here I, in California. I would not be surprised. Um, but I won't are, be surprised by anything right now. It's hard to be. It's hard to be. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Owen Muir, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Rebecca Sinclair, thank you very much. Thank I'd, you. I'd like to take a quick moment to thank all of our team at Brooklyn Mines, especially our TMS technicians who are in the office and treating people uh, all day long while the rest of us are you know, dutifully stuck at home. And every health professional out there who's busy working in hospitals and even people delivering, delivering your food or picking up your trash, this is a scary time to have to be out and about. And the fact that people are you know, doing those things for all of us, I'm deeply grateful for. Absolutely. Well put, well put. Uh, and I'll just take a minute to thank you, uh, everybody out there listening. Um, thank you. Please help us get the word out about this podcast. Share it to your friends. Uh, let people know about it. Leave us a review uh, and some stars on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, and a couple more disclaimers here. Please understand, again, this podcast does not provide medical and mental health treatment. If you or someone you love are experiencing suicidal ideation, having just a really, really hard time, uh, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That number is 800-273-8255. 
And you can find more resources on suicide prevention at lifeline.org. You can also get help by texting the word CONNECT to 741-741 from anywhere in the USA at any time about any type of, of crisis. And those numbers, again, you don't have to like go back and write them down. Just tap the show notes. Uh, you'll find those numbers. You'll find our number, 858-255-1770. You can leave us a message, tell us your story. And uh, you know we're, we are going to start having people on the show. So we're looking forward to doing that this week as well. Uh, yeah, thank you very much, you guys, and, and do take care. Stay healthy. You too. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Ben, and Western Sound. Oh, yeah, a Pandemic Check-In is produced by, <laughs> I almost forgot, the most important part, Pandemic Check-In is produced by Western Sound and Brooklyn Mines. You can find out uh, a lot more about Brooklyn Mines at brooklynmines.com. All right, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. You too.